If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 4. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 4 to 13 this morning. Amos chapter 4, verses 4 to 13. We've been in this um, series on Amos for the last few weeks, and um, it's a challenging series in, in a lot of ways. First of all, because a lot of the book of Amos is about judgment or punishment, and no one really wants to sit and think about judgment or punishment, do we? We don't like to think if we've stepped outside of God's ways or of what He leads as best. But it's so important as a church that we do just that that we'd be willing to put ourselves under God's authority, that we'd be willing as a church to say, you know what, we have to have a look at God's Word. We have to be willing to be challenged by it and to say, hey, is that me? Have I fallen outside of God's ways? And so the first week we talked about in, uh, in the first chapter really of, of, uh, of Amos, we talked about judgment on those who don't follow God. And we talked about the, the enemies of Israel around the, the perimeter of the northern and southern kingdoms of, of Israel, of Judah and Israel, so the kingdom of Israel altogether. And these enemies of God, how God pronounced through this prophet Amos, or, uh, who had chosen to prophesy these things, this simple man Amos, God chose to bring this message of judgment on the enemies of God, of the enemies of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel would have celebrated this. They would have been quite happy to see their enemies wiped out. Finally, God, you've come to our rescue and you've, you, you're doing away with all of these enemies for the, the sins that they've done and the wrongs that they've done. But then in, in chapter 2, he starts talking about the sins of Judah and then the sins of Israel. And he starts talking to his own people, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, a people he'd chosen in the Old Testament to, to represent Him and to show who He is and His power and authority and even His grace and mercy. And He talked to the people who He had dearly loved, this people of Israel, and talked about the punishment that they will receive because they had been unfaithful to Him, although He's been so faithful to care for them and to deliver them time and time again. Last week we talked about a judgment or a punishment on believers on, on Christians, on the people of God who forget to do what's right. The people who know God and they know His ways and they know how He's leading and they know how we should be living but choose to do the opposite of that and choose to go our own way and forget to just be right and do what is right and to be like God in our community. A challenge that we all need to hear. So I want to challenge you if you're a bit behind in the series and you haven't been reading along, then start back at, at Amos chapter 1 and read through all of Amos chapter 4, uh, where we are ending today. As today, we again want to be challenged by God. As we talk about the people of God who have gone their own way, as we talked about last week, they haven't done what's right, they, they haven't been following God, but also people who refuse to return to God. And a challenge by God for people to return to Him. Because he loves them. Amos chapter 4, 
beginning verse 4, says this. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, and yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you still did not return to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and your vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did in Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns, dark, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. Let me just pray for us. Dear Heavenly God, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we recognize your power, your dominion, your authority. And Lord, as a church, we pray that as we work our way through your word in the prophet Amos, we pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts and challenge our lives, that we be the people you want us to be as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, have you ever been lost? Have you ever lost your way? I was going to ask how many of you have ever lost your kids. Uh, some of you may have done that before. Um, but it's, it's a frightening thing if you ever get lost. Now, I remember just a couple years ago, uh, I took a, a mission trip to, uh, to China, and we were teaching, uh, teaching English in the, some of the universities there, in, uh, uh, in Xi'an and uh, in Yinchuan. And um, anyway, we were teaching in some of the universities and, and the high schools and middle schools, just teaching English and, and talking to people as they could, especially talking to the missionaries in the field about God and His grace and trying to encourage them. And we decided while we were there, we wanted to go to uh, Beijing. But we only had one weekend that was available that we could go there. And uh, when we started talking to some of the students, saying, we're, oh, they said, what are we going to do? And we said, oh, on the weekend we're going down to Beijing. And they started laughing at us. And I thought, okay, well, that's a bit odd. And another would laugh, another would laugh, and they'd say, we'd say, well, why are you laughing at us going to Beijing? And they said, oh, no one wants to go to Beijing this weekend. And we said, why? And they said, oh, because it's a public holiday, and everyone goes to Beijing this weekend. And it was estimated that there'd be 18 million people in Beijing on the weekend that we were going. Now, I grew up on a little 
country farm in the hills of Kentucky in a little town of about 4,000 people where everybody knows everybody. And our nearest neighbor, you know, was, uh, well, I was going to say a stone's throw away. It wasn't even a stone's throw away. It was a long way away. Um, and I thought I was pretty crowded when I moved to Sydney and the next house was about a driveway away. Some houses aren't even that far away. And I thought, well, there's a lot of people in Sydney. I remember the first time I went to the fireworks, uh, New Year's Eve fireworks, and I walked out of the train station uh, in Sydney, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is a lot of people. That ain't nothing compared to Beijing that weekend. I have never seen millions upon millions of people in that one place. And quite honestly, I'm quite happy to not experience it again. That was a lot of people. And, and, And in China, you know, I was always taught... You know, you, you, you wait for people to get on the bus or you help uh, older people on the bus and you kind of wait your turn. You don't wait for anything in China. If the doors open on the train or the bus, you jump for it and you go or some of your group gets left behind. And when we got to, uh, we got to uh, the Lost City and we were at Tiananmen Square and then the Lost City and when we were in this, there's uh, this huge open area outside the Lost City and literally, you, you could not see the ground, like this whole way, all the way across. I mean, it'd be bigger than from here to the lake. And you couldn't see the ground, like an inch of the ground. All you saw was, like, black heads everywhere of all the, the, the Chinese people uh, who were um, just packed in. And everywhere you went, literally, you're walking like this with bodies on top of you everywhere you go, like you're walking through a sea of people. And we were on our way back from Lost City, and we went through this marketplace and there's just stalls everywhere. And some of the group stopped and looked at a, a stall over here. And I continued up and I w- went to the next stall. was looking around. Well, when they left their first stall, they went around the back side and sit at the side I was on. And they walked right past me. And they continued on. And so I'm looking around and uh, shopping stuff and trying to talk to this lady. And then in Chinese, because no one speaks English there. And um, I looked up. I didn't recognize anybody. And it's not just like here where you kind of say, oh, have you seen my group? Because no one speaks English. Now, granted, my, my group leader was pretty easy to find because he was fair-skinned and a redhead. So he was he stuck out uh, there in, in China. But it took about a, an hour uh, for me to find my way back to the group. I'm kind of going up and down this strip of just people everywhere. And for the moment... For the moment I was in, I thought, I have no idea how to get my way back. I have no idea. I'm so entrenched in in this group. I'm so stuck in in where I am that I have no idea where to get back to my hotel, back to the university. Uh, I I only knew the name of the university in English, not in Chinese. I didn't know the the name of the hotel. Um, I couldn't describe our, our, our group. And finally, I was able to make it my way back. You know, sometimes in life, we make dumb decisions and um, we get lost. But unlike my group leader who left me lost there uh, for a while, God does everything He can to try to lead us back to Him. For His desire is to be close to us. His desire is to have that fellowship with us. And so, I want you to keep that in mind that of God's love and His grace and His desire to have that relationship with us as we work our way just through this passage. Because in ver- beginning in verse 4 and 5, there's a challenge for us to turn away from ourself and our selfish ways and look to God. 
chapter 4, and, uh, verse 4 and 5 of this. This is a challenging verse. It says, Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin some more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn the leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, because this is what you love to do, declares the Lord. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Go ahead and do all these religious things that you think makes me happy. You do those things and boast about them to everyone that you're such a great Christian. You're such a great follower of God. Just go ahead and brag about them because that's what you seem to like to do. Now, many of you know I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor all of my life. He's still uh, pastoring a church in the States. I grew up, like, it seems like every day we were in church. And so as little kids often mimic things, my brother and I would play church sometimes. And I would be the song director, and I was up there um, leading the, the music, and uh, my brother would be the pastor, and he was waving his arms and holding his Bible in the air because pastors in my day would preach like this a lot, and they'd say, prepare to meet your God. Yeah? And they're, they're, my brother's yelling and screaming and pointing at people, you have sinned. Yeah, and, and I'm singing, to God be the glory. Yeah? And we had church together. And it was a lot of fun to play church and to play like we were pastors and like we were Christians. But the point of part of the verse here is that this is not a game. That it can be fun and it can be entertaining to see little kids mimic the church or what happens. But what's dangerous is when the church starts playing church. What's dangerous is when the people of God start pretending like we're the people of God. We start pretending like we're following God. We start pretending like we're, we're trying to make Him happy. When in reality, we're doing things for ourselves. People who give just so that people can see them giving. People who, who recite scriptures just so that you can show others how, much God, how godly you are or how much of His Word you know. People who follow religious rules and they go, you know what, I'm in church every Sunday and I read my Bible every day and I, I pray for you every single day. And they kind of go through the motions, but there's no heart there, there's no relationship, and there's no surrender to God. What God wants is not the rules. He doesn't want us to necessarily follow those religious rules. What God desires is relationship. He wants us to trust Him with the direction of the church. He wants us to trust Him with our marriage and our family. He wants us to trust Him with our life. He wants us to trust Him with all of eternity. He has prepared a destiny for us. He has prepared a way for us that is so much greater than we could ever do on our own. He loves you. And He wants us to return to Him and to stop doing following our own selfish ways, to stop doing things for ourselves and to honor Him with how we do church. I'm not just talking about the worship on Sunday morning because this is, this is only a small, tiny part of what church is. We come here and, and we, we learn about God's Word and we're challenged together and we worship Him together and we pray to Him together. We submit to Him together and then we go out and we serve God in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, on the streets, when you're meeting Pokemon people in the parking lot. <laughs> Whatever it is. We should be honoring God. We should be serving Him in that way. 
in the ministries and the activities that we have, we should be honoring God. And everything we should do should be about God. To be about our relationship with Him. That love and that grace that we sing about here, the hope that we have in Him, that we rejoice about when we're in church, should be evident in our marriage, should be evident in our relationship with our family, should be evident when we're in our workplace, should be evident when we're on the streets. That's what God is saying. We as a church have to be challenged to return to Him and to stop playing church, but to make sure that the relationship we have with God is reflected in all of our life. Verse 6 and 10. He keeps on with the challenges. Now we recognize this passage is all about, about nature and how God has used nature to try to lead people back to Him. And we recognize uh, the Bible says that all of nature has been in decay and will continue to be in decay because of sin. And will continue to be in decay until Christ returns. In fact, it says all of nature groans longing for the return of Christ until He makes all things new. But we also recognize, according to Scripture, sometimes God uses nature to try to lead people back to Him. And we see here, He used hunger in verse 6. He used drought in verse 7 and 8. He used a destruction of, of the crops, a loss of the income of the people in verse 9. Desolation and sick, sickness and death in verse 10. And He says, I'm trying to get your attention you know that I'm the creator and sustainer of all these things and I'm doing these things. I've taken away things that you need so you'll turn to me and yet you still refuse to return to me. Now there's, there's a couple sides of this quickly. One is, I think we're, we're pretty good at turning to God when bad things happen. We, we're pretty good at, at turning to Him when, when it seems like the world's falling apart. And I remember, as many of you may, after uh, September 11th in the United States, I remember seeing all of uh, the government leaders, all of the Congress, standing on uh, the steps of the Capitol building, singing in, in unison the old uh, Lee Greenwood song, God Bless America. And what a powerful statement that was to, to much of the world saying, we're going to stand strong and we're going to trust God to see us through this. And I remember being in this place of, of shock and of horror of all that has happened on September 11th and being in church on the next Sunday. And if you drive around, you would see every single church with a parking lot packed and, and churches were packed. People saying, we, we trust God in this time. Only God can bring us through this. You know what happened? That's the other side of that. We're quick to turn to God, but we're also quick to turn back our own way and to get our eyes back away from Him and to stop trusting in Him. When it seems like, wait, there's September 11th and there's this huge terrorist attack, but September 12th and 13th and 14th and the next year and the next year and the first decade and nothing else happened. And what happened is week after week and month after month, the churches, the congregations started getting smaller. The people stopped praying and trusting in God like that. These united fronts from a government that one day stands and sings, God, we trust in you, the next day went back to business showing how much they trust in themselves and not in God. 
God says, you can be punished as a people of God for knowing Him and knowing His ways and then refusing to return to Him. Although He's trying to get your attention. And in verse 6 to 10, He says, all of nature I, I can use to try to draw your attention, to try to lead you back to me. Return to me. Verse 11 to 12. It's a challenge, I think, that we, we need to turn from our own limitations and look to God. Verse 11 to 12 says, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from a fire, yet you've not returned to me. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. God is the one and God alone who can save our lives. Who knows when our first day was and when our last day is going to be. He can even save us from utter destruction when it seems like there is absolutely no hope. It's like a, a campfire in which you, you've got this fire raging and someone reaches over and, and takes a stick out of the, the fire and puts it down and saves it from something that there's no way that stick can get itself out of the fire. It's just going to burn and it's going to suffer and it's going to perish. God says, I wiped out whole cities and, and I brought punishment on them and I saved you from it as only I can. And yet still you didn't turn to me. God says, you will be punished for not returning to me. And because I am doing this and I have all power and all authority, prepare to meet God because this is your end. I've given you chance after chance after chance opportunities to turn to me. I've tried to, to get your attention and, and bring you back to me. And still you choose to walk your own way. And so your judgment is sealed. One thing I, I love about God, which is hard to comprehend at times, is just how merciful He is. And part of that is that he doesn't force us to follow him. Although so many times I wish he would. I wish he would drag our family back into the, the right. I wish he would drag people into his love and his mercy. Because I know if people just experience his love and mercy, they'll never want to turn back. But God loves us so much, he allows us Freedom from that sin. He, he knows that we're held in that sin. He knows that we can't get out of it ourselves. And, and, and He offers us hope. He offers us a way out to any who believe. But He never forces that on us. And if people choose, after He tries and tries to, to lead them to Him, they choose to reject Him, then there's punishment for that. And there's condemnation. And there's eternal death. But there's a, eternal life and hope for any who trust in Jesus. But God is the God of all dominion and power. He is the God who can do anything, even save us, a wretch like me, a sinner like me. Verse 13 says this, He who formed the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns darkness into, uh, sorry, who turns dawn into darkness, who treads the heights of the earth, the Lord Almighty is his name. 
this powerful, powerful God is our God. This God is the one who, who tells us what is right and what is wrong. It's a God who, who leads us in the ways of righteousness and tries to guide us to what is best. It's a God who knows the punishment for sin is death and we deserve to be eternally separated from Him. But He, the only one who could, made a way for us to have life, eternal life with Him for any who will trust in Jesus. This God loves you. And this God will do whatever it takes to try to lead you back to Him. I want to challenge us as a church. Return to God. As individuals, return to God. He loves you. No matter how far you've gone or how many times, God loves you. And there's mercy and there's grace at the foot of the cross. There's mercy and grace because of what Jesus has done for us. He's already paid for that sin. He's already paid for that wrong. God just wants us to return to Him so He can lead us in what is right, so He can bless us as His children. I want to challenge you, as I have each week, to start reading through all of this book of Amos. Man, there's some hard stuff, some deep challenges for us, recognizing... We don't want to recognize that there's punishment. We don't, recognize, we don't want to recognize that people who choose not to follow God, people who reject God, will receive death. We're happy to, receive, to say that those who follow God and those who, 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 um, who trust in Him can have life and, and hope. But we don't like to think about the other, do we? But because God is a merciful God, because He's a God of grace... He offers to any and every one of us, no matter our sin, no matter how long, no matter how much, He offers to all of us life, to any who will trust in Him. But there is the reality that those who do not trust in Him are separated from Him for all of eternity. And there is the mission of the church, to share God's love and grace, to let them know to let them know that they don't have to experience that death. They don't have to experience that separation. They don't have to experience that punishment for their sin because Christ has already paid for that on the cross. They can have life and peace if they just turn to Him. And church, what a difference we can make in sharing God's love and grace and mercy if we just return to God. We not make church about us. We not make serving Him about really serving us or lifting us up. We make sure that all we do, not in just in here, but all we do as the church of God, as the people of God, is honoring to Him. We try to be faithful to His Word. We be faithful to Him. We have a relationship with Him. And that relationship that changes our heart and our life is reflected in every aspect of our lives as we just return to God. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly God, I thank You and I praise You that You never give up on us. God, You just keep on giving us opportunity after opportunity to turn to you you keep challenging us god through your word you keep challenging us god through your holy spirit you even use nature and and different ways to lead us to you because you have dominion and power over all things god i thank you that in your infinite wisdom in your infinite mercy and grace you never let us go for as a people of god we are yours and we are in your arms Lord, help us just to return to you, to experience your mercy, 
to experience your forgiveness, to experience where you pick us up out of the clay that we've stuck ourselves in and you put our feet on the solid ground and lead us in your ways of righteousness. Lead us in your ways of justice. Lead us in your ways of mercy. Lord, help us as a church to lift you up, to allow the relationship with you that has changed our heart and given us hope and given us security and given us salvation. Help that life to be reflected in every aspect of our lives, that relationship to flow into our relationship with others, that you be lifted up and draw people to your mercy and grace as we as your church just return to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.